1: Sometimes gibberish pays off. The president of the United States and his vice president uh, have been speaking in it for three years now. Maybe you notice. Sometimes it's referred to as a word salad, and sometimes it can get you an award. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Well, Ibram X. Kendi has become king of the race hustlers. He created a foundation at Boston University to study the evils of racism, and seven employees complained that it was poorly run, and now there's an investigation going on to find out what happened to $40 million. Ibram has a documentary coming out on Netflix that you shouldn't fail to miss. It's called Stamped from the Beginning, and he showed up to speak at a screening. I I don't
2: think uh, white uh, people worldwide... Have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness and and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity, in other words uh, recognizing that uh when you, when you recognize that you are part and parcel of humanity, in other words, you're not over humanity, right? Uh, it, it allows you to really be able to connect to people who don't look like you, who have kinky hair, who have dark skin, uh, and to see yourself in them. And it's whiteness that prevents that. Right. And, and when you're not able to see yourself uh, in other human beings, that creates all sorts of problems, um, but not just societal problems, personal problems uh, that that I think hopefully this 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 film and this work will, will liberate those folks from. So I, I think it's this liberate. It's liberating all the way around. Right. It. it you know, I think it will liberate, you know, really all of us because, uh, you know, we've all been told a lie about ourselves and other people.
1: Mm. Did you hear the woman gasp at his brilliance? Uh, I don't know. I was really, really liberated by that. I I just wonder if in his Netflix special that I'm not going to fail to miss, uh, if he talks at all about blackness because whiteness, he seems to, Know everything about. But anyway, uh, the woman who gasped there, she's really going to be impressed when she finds out that Ibram X. Kendi is the AM 1250, the answer, jerk of the week. And when we come back, gun sales are through the roof. There are still 16 shopping days until Christmas, too. Who's buying them, and what kind are they buying and why? And in our second half hour, a close look at the Biden family grift. Stick around. Does anybody on your Christmas shopping list need a gun? Uh, Based on some recent numbers, it's obvious that guns are on a lot of shopping lists out there. Sales records are being broken. Mark Oliva is spokesman for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. He joins us now. Mark, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So
1: what kind of numbers are we talking about here, Mark?
3: So in November, we saw one po- nearly 1.6 million background checks for the sale of a firearm at retail. And again, these are a little bit different than the numbers that the FBI releases every month. We distill their numbers down to reflect only those background checks that are associated with the sale of a gun. So that tells us 1.6 million times, at, at a minimum, because you can purchase multiple firearms at the same time in the same location, uh, 1.6 million times. Americans went out to legally purchase a firearm for their personal possession.
1: And I understand Black Friday was big.
3: It was. We had uh, we had the highest numbers on record for Black Friday. Uh, and, again, those were raw figures that were given. We weren't able to distill those out. But that overall number was also included in that $1.6 million, uh, that we saw from November. And this is driving us toward... Uh, a pretty healthy year. We're probably going to end up somewhere north of 15 million background checks, uh, which puts us uh, slightly behind the, the peak that we saw in 2020 of 21 and a half million background checks. Uh, but uh, still puts us in within about the top five years that we have on record. Um, so is is
1: Christmas time? I, I, I said at the beginning there that, you know, that, that guns could be on a lot of people's Christmas shopping lists. Is that actually something that people go out and buy as a gift, or can you even do that because of the legality part of it?
3: Sure. There there are ways to do it as a gift. We always recommend that anyone wanting to purchase a firearm for somebody uh, as a gift that they should go out and get a gift card because uh-huh. there are the the issues of uh, signing that 4473 form from the ATF that you have to attest that you are the true intended recipient of the firearm. Uh, and then passing the background check with the FBI as well. So we always recommend that you uh, maybe get a gift card or get a gift a receipt. That way they can go in and, and do all the paperwork themselves. Uh, but it is a popular thing for people to buy uh, firearms during during this time of year. First, there's the sales. We see a lot of sales coming around. We saw that, obviously, as the week leading up to Black Friday. We work with our retailers to actually spread those sales out throughout the week so we don't overwhelm the FBI's National Institute Criminal Background Check System or NICS. Uh, and then uh, those sales will continue uh, typically through the holiday season. Uh, but on top of that, you also have uh, this is the honey season for many. Uh, there are still people who are out hunting for ducks. So they're going to be hunting for, uh, you know, for finishing up their deer seasons. Uh, you know, And we'll, we'll start to see as people start getting focused again at, as the new year comes around back into turkey season again. Uh, so we're still seeing people buying firearms for those purposes, too. On top of all of this, John, we also see that people are continuing to buy firearms for concerns about their personal safety, Mm -hmm. Uh, and we can tell that by the number of by what type of firearm you're buying. And any given year, and this year is no exception, over half the firearms that are sold are handguns. And we start to look at what type of gun people buy, we can kind of tell what their use is. When you buy a rifle. You could use that for recreational target shooting. You use that for hunting. You can use that for uh, home self-defense. The same thing with a shotgun. But when you buy a handgun, with very rare exception, handguns aren't used for hunting. They're either used for self-defense or they're used for recreational target shooting. So this year, again, when we're still seeing elevated numbers, over a million background checks for 52 months consecutive, we're seeing that people are still very concerned for their personal safety. So, um
1: but who's buying these handguns?
3: Yeah, so what we're seeing is across the board that it no longer looks like people like me. And I'm a middle-aged white guy living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., but today's gun owner doesn't necessarily look like me. We saw in 2020 and in the 2021 when we had the surge on people buying guns that there were uh, increased numbers of minorities. We saw a 42% increase of, of Hispanic Americans, We saw for, uh, 40, I'm sorry, we saw a 42% increase of Asian Americans, we saw, saw a 47% increase of Hispanic Americans, and we saw a 58% increase of African Americans uh, buying handguns. We also saw overwhelming numbers of women going out and buying handguns. So I try to remind people, today's gun owner doesn't necessarily look like me anymore, and it's becoming harder and harder for those people who oppose gun ownership to put gun owners into a neat little box because we don't fit that box anymore. Today's gun owners are more urban. They're younger. They don't necessarily fit into the traditional political parties that everyone has associated them with. Everyone look around you. The people around you are gun owners. Over 50% of the people have now attested to there is a gun in their home. It's over half the population now says that they are in a gun-owning home. So when we're seeing that, we're seeing that is not just one particular group of people, but it's everyone. America's yeah. guns are America.
1: Now you you've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, you referenced uh, twenty and twenty twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one as yes, being big years for sales. Was that about the pandemic, or was that about the Biden administration taking over?
3: The short answer is yes. Uh-huh. It was. We saw uh, we saw the most number of background checks we ever had on record in twenty twenty uh, in April, and that of course came at the same time we saw the pandemic shutdowns happening. And those, those we had two, uh, 2.3 million background checks for the sale of a firearm that month, most ever recorded. But we also saw that people were buying guns then because they were concerned about their personal safety. We saw that police departments were telling their communities they weren't gonna be able to respond to every 911 call. We saw that the, that the defund police movement was getting moving and that they're starting to curtail on that. We saw that people were being released from prisons early because of COVID. But then we also saw that sustained throughout the next summer. When you started to see some of those uh, COVID restrictions being relaxed and started to be lifted, uh, we saw a lot of violence in the summer of 2020. And that, of course, continued throughout the year and into 2021. So people were continuing to buy because of some of the policies that they saw uh, were resulting in chaos in their communities. They wanted to make sure they are going to be able to keep themselves and their families safe. Uh, But some of that started with uh, those policies uh, dovetailing right alongside the misguided COVID policies that were pushed down by this administration.
1: We're talking to Mark Oliva. He's spokesman for the National Shooting Sports Foundation um, and the big, big uh, spike in gun sales here this uh, last couple of months. Um, so uh, are these uh, mostly people who are, who are buying these guns? Uh, uh, are they mostly people who already own guns and are adding to their existing collection? Or are you able to tell that there are a lot of first time buyers here and more so, so than well- in the past?
3: Yeah, in the surveys that we did in 2020 and 2021, we saw that there were about 34% Thirty 34% or so of people who were buying guns were buying guns for the very first time. And that was about 10% higher than we'd seen any given year. Uh, so it was telling us that there were more people who were brand new to gun ownership who were coming out to ask questions. And we also saw that in the number of uh, classes that people were signing up, learning how to use a store and store their firearms safely, learning how to be able to put it into action, how to safely take it out of action, and how to use that uh, firearms in a safe and responsible and action. So we saw that there was an increased appetite for people to uh, exercise their Second Amendment rights for the very first time in those years. We're seeing that number start to come down just a little bit, just as we see the overall numbers coming down. But we're still seeing a a pretty good steady number of first-time gun buyers.
1: Now, looking at these numbers, uh, Mark, uh, I'm I'm sure there are people out there who will say, boy, that means a lot of people are going to be getting shot now. Illegally, because yeah. all these people yeah. own the guns. I, I, I'm guessing there's not a uh, correlation between the uh, rise in gun ownership or gun purchases by private individuals and the amount of crime being committed on the streets by those people.
3: Yeah, so I, I remind people, when you're purchasing a firearm legally, uh, and of course we, we need to make sure we're talking about legal firearm from mm-hmm. sales, You're talking about a a pretty good investment. Your average handgun is going to start running about $500 and can run upwards into $2,500 to $5,000, depending on the model of handgun you want to buy. That's not an insignificant uh, investment for anybody to make. So when you're talking about the money it takes to get one, the hurdles that you have to overcome in some states, in in California there's still a 10-day waiting period. You have to pass background checks. Some states you have to submit fingerprints you have to undergo a, a, a qualification test by your state to be allowed to exercise your your second amendment rights. These are significant hurdles to to a, what is a civil liberty and people over, you know trying to get through that process to do that aren 't the same kind of people who are going to go out and commit a crime. These are the people who are willing to put themselves through that rigor to be able to exercise their rights. They're not the ones out committing crime. What we see overwhelmingly, and the FBI's uniform crime reports and the Bureau of Justice Statistics reports have borne this out, that people who overwhelmingly are using the guns in the the commission of a crime are already people who are criminals themselves. Mm -hmm. We are seeing repeat offenders. Ninety percent of the people who have been caught using a firearm in a crime, according to Bureau of Justice statistics, are people who illegally obtained that firearm. They're not people who obtained it in a legal manner. That means they went out and they stole it. They they traded it on the black market or it's been you know, swapped from hand to hand, and in, in, as we see in many uh, gang cases.
1: Yeah, we had a case here just uh, in the last week or so. I think the kid was 17 years old. He had... Um he had somehow um, made it known that he wanted to shoot up a high school, and they caught him with an AK-47, and they sent him home with his mother because they don't have any space in the detention, you know, the juvenile detention
3: here. Um, yeah, and, and that, that brings up a real good point because when we start talking about criminal misuse of firearms, mm-hmm. and we start talking about people who are using a firearm illegally. You have to be 18 years old. The federal right. law requires eighteen years old to be able to lawfully legally lawfully possess a firearm. And if that individual is making threats against a school, that's illegal use of a firearm, especially if it's a 17 year old unsupervised by an adult. And
1: they sent him home with his mother.
3: And that's what the other part of the equation is, is we have prosecutors who are unwilling to apply the law and hold those individuals responsible. They're turning them back out into the street with nothing more than just a slap on the wrist. So we have a problem. Is not a, of the laws. We have the laws we need. We have an unwillingness and uh, to apply the law as it's written.
1: Here's the problem I have, though, uh, Mark, I, uh, with this. This story came out a week or so ago, and I every time I see a story like this, I, I notice that there's not nearly enough attention paid to where the kid got the gun. And my question is, maybe, you know, the answer to this Um in a situation like this, in just in general, the cops catch this kid with an AK-47. Okay, they know he didn't get it legally. How how much of a priority is put on finding out where the gun came from, and how how hard do they work to try to find that out, or and do yeah, they, they do actually- it, or is it hard enough?
3: Yeah, so they, they actually do a pretty good job with law enforcement authorities trying to figure out where those guns are coming from. And there have been recent reports that find that uh, children who are taking firearms, especially to schools, are uh, obtaining them in the home. And that's why the NSSF, the Firearm Industries Trade Association that I work for, has made a huge emphasis on ensuring that people who own guns lock them up so they're not able to be accessed by those individuals who can't be trusted to possess them. Mm-hmm. That includes children. That includes people who may be suffering through a mental health crisis or suicidal, and also includes prohibited individuals, those who can't lawfully possess a firearm because of some kind of criminal history. Every firearm that ships from the factory comes with a cable-style gun lock, and when that cable-style gun lock is properly applied, it renders the firearm inoperable. And on top of that, the firearm industry, out of our own pocket, has gone to, gone as far as to uh, distribute over 40 million of these firearms uh, cable locking devices uh, free of charge through police departments in, in every state. So in all 50 states, we've got partnerships with 15,000 law enforcement agencies. So we've distributed over 40 million of these gun locks free of charge, no questions asked, because we want to make sure that those people who do have a gun in the home, have it locked up safely. So we we'll remind people, this cable-style locking device is only one way that you, can lock, that you can lock your firearm up. Some people may choose to have a biometric safe or an RFID safe, or traditional big, large, upright safe. And as you're going through your life stages, as you're going from somebody who may be single, to married, to having children, to adult children, to having grandchildren, your storage needs are gonna change over time. So we ask people to constantly you know, reassess their storage needs to make sure that they're locking their guns up in a way that's gonna make it sense for them to be able to protect themselves, but also keep their family safe. So we remind all gun owners, you have a responsibility to lock that gun up safely in your home.
1: The Biden administration is trying to cut sales of AR-15s. Has that worked?
3: Uh, not really. It's uh, Every time we see these calls for some kind of uh, a ban on modern sporting rifles, of which the AR-15 or AK-47 is just the type of these, uh, we see that people are going to continue to buy them. Typically, we'll see in election years, too, that there is an uptick of firearm sales, the background checks for firearm sales, because of so much discussion about Potential or pending uh, gun control legislation. Just in the past couple of weeks, we saw a different uh, gun control bill introduced in the Senate by Senator Angus King and Senator Martin Heinrich uh, from uh, Maine and Arizona or New Mexico, respectively, to ban nearly every type of semi-automatic rifle and could potentially be just about every potentially semi-automatic handgun as well. So. We are seeing that there is an unabated appetite from gun control to go after your ability to possess a firearm. But we also see the need to protect what the Second Amendment has for us. And then the Heller decision in 2008, the Supreme Court held that you cannot ban an entire class of firearms. And so these are these are constantly constitutionally protected uh, firearms. The entire class of firearms is. But we're seeing that there's never a stopping point for those who want to take away your right to lawfully possess a firearm because of the criminal actions of a deranged individual.
1: Well, finishing up here with Mark Oliva, I have about a minute left, Mark, uh, spokesman for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, Gun sales are through the roof here the last uh, several months. Uh, Real quick, what kind of gun would you recommend for someone who's never owned one and just looking for personal protection?
3: You know, when, when people ask me those questions at the time, I always ask them what they intend to use it for. If it's just going to be for personal protection, recreational target shooting, you know, they may want to go look at a semi-automatic or revolver style handgun. And I, and I always recommend that they get down to their local range or get down to their gun show and start asking questions of those people who use these firearms every day. The style of gun that works for me may not be the style of gun that works best for you. Uh, and depending upon how you want to use it, if you want to just use, use that for protection in the home, maybe a different type of gun that you want to use for something for concealed carry. So ask questions, go out and get training, learn how to do it, and do it safely, properly, and legally.
1: Hey, Mark, great uh, stuff. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me, John. Best of luck to y'all. Please stay safe through the holidays. Okay,
1: you too. Mark Oliva of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, I'll be right back. Yesterday wasn't a really good day for Hunter Biden. The Justice Department filed new new criminal charges against him uh, and accused him of not paying $1.4 million in taxes. That makes it not a good day, I guess, for the Biden family. So now what? Well, Charles Lipson is professor of political science emeritus at the University of Chicago and a columnist for Real Clear Politics. He joins us now. Thanks for coming on the show, Charles. Appreciate it.
4: John, it's great to talk to you. Great to be heard in
1: Pittsburgh. you you've written about the uh, the Biden family grift. How much of that grift uh, is going to be exposed because of this, or or could this actually make it less likely?
4: Oh no, uh, the uh, what's going to really expose it is uh, the prospect of uh, an impeachment committee being formally voted on by the House. That'll require all the Republicans to vote for it because the Democrats will oppose it. And the reason that that's particularly important is that a lot of subpoenas issued by the Oversight Committee, Ways and Means Committee, and so forth, all of whom have been investigating Hunter, those have been uh, not complied with. And of course, the Biden DOJ doesn't enforce them. But uh, when you form an Im- impeachment committee, the courts have normally been very deferential to letting the impeachment committee uh enforce its own subpoenas uh so the courts will uh normally unless they're so politicized in dc that they simply reject it they will normally uh say that you must comply uh with those uh subpoenas hunter will of course uh plead the fifth amendment but uh but they'll get a lot of information
1: hunter's um offer to only testify publicly is that going to help him or hurt him
4: PR gambit. Uh, It was uh, never intended. It was the opposite of uh, what the Godfather did. You know, the Godfather made him an offer they they couldn't refuse. Hunter, and especially his very smart, tough lawyer, Abby Lowell, made made the committee an offer it could only refuse. Um, There's no reason why that committee should have behaved any differently from other committees, including Adam Schiff's investigation of uh, uh, of Donald Trump, where they take uh, closed-door depositions first. And they do that for two reasons. The first is that when it's behind closed doors, basically all the questions will be asked by very experienced lawyers. Mm-hmm. Now, Hunter would have a lawyer, or any witness would have a lawyer, uh, the Democrats would have a lawyer and the Republicans, but you wouldn't have this five minutes of showboating by each side as they ask questions and don't follow up. They don't have time. Uh, You get that on. That's one reason, serious questions uh, and follow-ups. The second reason is that you don't want other witnesses to know what previous witnesses have said.
1: Yeah. Well, otherwise
4: they'll co- coordinate their uh, testimony.
1: Right, and you know if if, if this were 1923 instead mm. of 2023, and there were there's no That's television bad. or not even radio, I guess back then there wouldn't be even have been radio. These things were never public. They were public for anybody who was able to get themselves into the Capitol building to to listen to the testimony, yeah. but they they weren't public. And it seems to me, just based on what you said. That it would be uh, a good move to uh, try to stop TV from televising these things live. Well, I think you'd get a
4: bet. You get a, uh, let it, me, it, it. Let works me be, uh, Let me make a friendly pushback about that. I right. think that the public, the, who are the voters after all, yeah. uh, generally speaking. Uh, deserve transparency whether mm-hmm. that transparency comes in the form of televised hearings and so forth there's some places where i think it's where i think it's good to release the information but not necessarily televise things and back in the 1920s of course newspapers could uh, report things yeah, uh, yeah. always and i think ultimately when they finished um, deposing the witnesses and are ready i think it's appropriate to have uh, Hunter come in and uh, testify if, he, if, um, if by that point he, he is not just invoking the Fifth Amendment. Now, the courts have ruled in the context of uh, the impeachment investigations of uh, Donald Trump that you can't say, uh, I have a reason not to appear like executive privilege, mm-hmm. and I won't appear at all you can go to the committee and then invoke that uh, right. And so you could go to the committee and invoke uh, the right to to avoid self-incrimination. But if you had done that privately, I think it's wrong to then hold a public hearing to make the person say that. I think that's just designed to humiliate.
1: And by doing the deposition, you also um the people who are doing the questioning on both sides um when they go to the public hearing they are armed with the answers that they got from the deposition so they can Absolutely. so they can ask the people to clarify in public what they said in private
4: right and they will have followed up on what was said um uh, if um um witness A uh, says something different from Witness B, they may ask Witness C, or they'll look at documents. By the way, documents are also very important here. Uh, for example, Joe Biden uh, paid cash for his house. Now, people do that uh, if they have a lot of money, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know, we don't know where the cash came from. And a lot of the uh, – I think that it's very important to recognize – that Hunter Biden is not a public official. Joe Biden is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the corruption surrounding Hunter Biden as it is gradually being proven um, is only important politically if it it's only important to me politically if it involves Joe Biden in some way. Right. And there have and there are three ways it can involve him. Okay? mm mm-hmm. Mhm um did he know what his family was doing did he know about the sketchy family uh activities and the grift and the income that was coming in uh from all of this i think the answer to that is obvious mm-hmm. he has denied it but i think the answer is yeah. obvious the second one is what did joe biden do to aid those activities. And I think we know a fair amount about that because we know that Joe Biden was quite willing to phone in, for example, to, uh, to meetings that Hunter held. And often after Joe phoned in, there were big uh, checks that were written to Hunter. Uh, and I should uh, add to that that there are um, that the committee has now found a lot of emails in which Joe Biden used an alias to communicate with Hunter's business partners. And we need to know what was in those emails. I don't see any reason why those shouldn't be completely released to the public. Um, And some newspapers, like the New York Post, would look into it. The New York Times would ignore it. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, I would say that if the New York Times and Washington Post begin to get on the case, that's your signal that the Democratic establishment wants a different candidate. And the party's and then over, And the, yeah. the third point is, did Joe benefit financially? And, of course, if he did, then uh, that's just absolutely devastating.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, what's your reaction when you hear someone in the media or another Democrat? I know it's kind of the same thing, but... Uh, <laughs> I call them the the mediocrats. Um wh- what do you think when you hear them say there's no evidence of any wrongdoing by Joe at this point here today are they correct when they say that?
4: No. No, no, no,
1: no. Well, I mean, yeah, um... I mean uh, when I say evidence, <laughs> I mean uh, proven facts.
4: Well, look, there's not enough proof to uh, uh vote for impeachment. Uh, let's be clear. Impeachment uh you can be impeached mm-hmm. okay. uh, by the house uh, you got to be convicted was. though yeah you, to be convicted in the senate you need a mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know you you need more evidence mm-hmm. i don't think there's even enough evidence for impeachment yet there may be and by the time that's what the committee is going to find out by the time they produce it frankly they'll be so close to the election that they should do kind of what the democrats um, refuse to do with Trump. Put the evidence out. Let the people decide, uh, not their elected representatives. Don't. Uh, if you're within a few months, by the way, I think all the prosecutions of of Trump so close to the election are just dreadful, and they're dreadful for the exact reason that the Justice Department. Uh, doesn't permit indictments so close to the election. Uh, these uh, court cases may not come to trial. Even if they did, they would interfere w- and are interfering with Trump's ability to campaign, and um, and they're just unfair for the same reason the Justice Department doesn't allow those indictments. They shouldn't. Ha- they should have either brought these cases earlier or bring them after. Uh, the election, in which case Trump would just pardon himself on, on federal charges. I say that not as somebody who's backing Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just saying it as a neutral analyst of these issues.
1: We're talking to Charles Lipson. He's Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Chicago, University of Chicago. He is also the uh, he's a columnist for Real Clear Politics. Um, I, I just, uh, um, as has anybody been able to get Hunter Biden or any of these people to explain yet what it is they did for the money they made?
4: We know what they did. They opened doors and the name was used to uh, influence uh, U.S. government officials. Uh, they won't say that. And in fact, it raises you raise a very interesting question John because there is simply no excuse for the Department of Justice not uh, bringing uh, Foreign Agent Registration Act violations against Hunter Biden that's what he was doing and it is absolutely inexplicable why well I can explain it you can't do but it is indefensible That they have not brought those charges because they are fully warranted by evidence that's on the public record already.
1: Yeah, but it's it's been explained to someone. Anybody with a brain can see what's going on. But it's you have people who are supposed to be smart working in the media and again working for the Democrats. Who I'm sure they'll they'll be on the air tonight somewhere saying there's no evidence whatsoever showing that any wrongdoing by Joe Biden or that he benefited. I don't know, if I am able to get a uh, million dollars for my granddaughter, I'd say I benefited from that. Because my, grand- well, my granddaughter now has a million great dollars.
4: Point. That's a great point. Um, if you're over 80 years old, all your money's going to your family anyway if you've got enough to live on in the way you wanna live. Right. It's all gonna just be in your will. Uh, and so, what you're doing, if you can divert income uh, to other family members, then fine. Uh, the but the problem then becomes political. If you're trying to say, uh, uh, for example, if, if maybe that Hunter diverted that money, not Joe, to the granddaughter, mm-hmm. and so you know that's what. Um, the, they will claim. It's an interesting point. Yeah, but
1: Hunter, Hunter was only able to do that because he used Joe's name. And um, I, is that is that okay?
4: <laughs> not for me. No, I don't think not so either. Not for you. Yeah. But, uh, but again, the issue is really going to be whether or not any of this rises to the level of impeachment. I, I think that its main effect will be to continue to tarnish Joe Biden. Because I think what people will uh, recognize and in a very reasonable way recognize is uh, that this was a family enterprise. Hunter was the bag man, um, not uh, the initiator of all this. I mean, he may have played uh, a a role in initiating it. But what— they were selling was the brand and the brand was not Hunter the brand was not his uncles, the brand was his father Uh, and uh, uh, the fact that they were uh, that uh, Joe Biden was using false names to communicate with Hunter's business partners is an indication they were trying to hide things Uh, uh, we know Joe Biden has been uh, telling untruthful stories Mm-hmm. about uh his engagement in all of this he was deeply involved uh but that is uh still not uh, at this point enough and that's why i think that if i were in the congress i would vote uh for an impeachment investigation now the democrats position on this will be to avoid it and i think there's only one way uh that. I'm, uh, Joe gets out of the race. I'm out of time. Ten is, seconds. What's,
1: what's the one way?
4: Uh, Barack Obama comes out publicly.
1: Ooh. OK, we'll see if that happens and we'll keep you on file here to talk about that down the road. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's good, good great to talk to, have to you, me. John. Thank you.
4: Good to talk to you.
1: That's uh, Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Chicago. You can find his column at RealClearPolitics.com. Well I came across a poll that make it might make you if you uh, run into uh uh well your grandkids or if you if your kids are at home you might want to start asking them what they're being taught just it would be interesting to just ask kids who are you know fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth grade kids what are they teaching you about George Washington just tell me what do you know about George Washington first of all, some of them might not know who he is, which is kind of scary but Rasmussen did a did a poll and um This is what they've came up with, among other things. But this was a poll about statues being removed. Democratic voters are more evenly divided. Forty percent of Democrats approve of removing monuments to Washington. Forty percent. Now, keep in mind that probably 98 percent of teachers are Democrats. Twenty one percent who strongly approve of doing it. Uh, Forty percent of Democrats want to tear down statues of George Washington but when you get to the younger Democrats, just 31% of voters under 40, 40 is you know, not a kid. You're pretty, you're, you know, that's, I don't know, you, got, you could have high school age kids at 40. 31% of voters under 40 have a very favorable impression of Washington. What would you, aside from the slavery thing, what would they possibly be teaching people uh, that's wrong, you know, that's for them not to like George Washington is wooden teeth, what is it 44% of under 40 voters at least somewhat approve of removing monuments to George Washington 44% of people under 40 not under 20 or under 16 cuz they you know they're idiots and you know they don't know anything about anything as my dad used to tell me when I was that age this is under 40 voters 44% of them think it's okay to remove A statue of George Washington. I don't know. Just ask your kids about it over the holidays. See what kind of answer you get. I'll talk to you on Monday.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.